Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. Today's program looks at why sex matters in neuroscience and its influence on the brain and emotional memory. Our guest is Dr. Larry Cahill, professor of neurobiology and behavior at the University of California, Irvine. His research on sex-based differences gained national media attention around the sleep medication Ambien, used by close to 38 million Americans in light of its major differential impact on the brains of women versus men. Dr. Cahill is also writing the first textbook, Examining Sex and Gender in the Brain. Dr. Cahill, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Cahill, not so long ago, neuroscientists believed that sex differences in the brain were limited mainly to those regions responsible for mating behaviors and sex hormones. As a basic neurologist, did you set out to examine sex influences in the brain or just stumble upon it? No, I definitely did not set out to examine it. As I like to put it, I didn't find this issue. It found me. I was simply interested in the mechanisms by which the brain stores emotional memories. And like everyone else in neuroscience, most everyone else, I was studying exclusively male animals. But when I switched to studying humans, and this was about 20 years ago, I started for the first time to study females. And when I did that, I stumbled upon a sex difference in how the brain stores emotional memories. And that was a real crossroads point. When I discovered this sex difference, I had to either explain it away or try to explain it. And I went with explain it. And that's what took me this last 20 years, understanding the importance of the sex difference issue. Let's revisit a seminal moment over a decade ago when you gained national media attention when interviewed by news correspondent Leslie Stahl in a CBS 60 Minutes segment about the sleep aid Ambien. Tell us the issue and what happened. So that was a time when the the story of sex influences was really starting to break open. And the FDA at that time was re-examining the sleep drug Ambien and was asking questions that it should have asked 20 years earlier about whether or not the drug Ambien was really being metabolized the same way in women and men. And it came to the conclusion that it wasn't, and that as a result of these kinds of reasons, women were having far more Ambien in their system the next morning after taking it than men were. And on the basis of that, they required that the dosages be changed. And that particular study, the Ambien story, there's still some debate about it. There was a a follow-up study after the FDA thing that questioned whether or not that conclusion was correct. But the, the main point of the Ambien story remains exactly the same, which is that the kinds of work that they have been doing to see whether or not drugs like Ambien are processed differently in males and females should be done at the very start of the FDA process before these drugs get to market, not as some sort of cleanup after the fact once they come to market. So Ambien remains a good example of how not to do the science. In fairness to people, 20 years ago when Ambien was first approved, I myself might not have had any problem with it because we really didn't have anywhere near the consciousness then that we have now 
yeah, it's entirely possible that drugs are working very differently in many ways in males and females. We just hadn't thought about it that much. But now, 20 years later, I would argue that there's just no excuse for any drug to not be very carefully examined for whether or not there are important sex differences that we need to care about before the drug gets to market. How significant was the fact that your work was also instrumental in the 2016 adoption by the National Institute of Health of the landmark policy ruling that sex is a biological variable and mandated its consideration in all NIH-funded research? That was a landmark. The way I put it is, it was a corner turned that cannot be unturned. And what I mean by that is, prior to that, most people, and even myself included for a while before that, simply weren't asking the question about whether or not there could be sex differences that we should care about. We were simply mainly using male animals because of a belief that there weren't sex differences to worry about. There weren't fundamental sex differences. The logic of both the male and the female scientists was that it was better to use the males in order to understand in the fundamental mechanisms that males and females shared. Well, with the sex as a biological variable policy, Finally, we got over the hump and we said, no, you know, that's not good enough anymore. We have to study both sexes. I'm really proud to have been a part of the force that got the SABV passed because there's no going back to simply pretending sex differences don't exist. It can be difficult to go forward, but there's no going back. So Dr. Cahill, on the point that there's no going back, What was the fallout for you personally and professionally from that national CBS media attention? Well, personally, a lot of family and friends were very impressed that I was on 60 Minutes. (laughs) And uh, the main thing for me, when I watched that piece, I just thought, wow, they did such a good job. They hit a grand slam home run. They made it clear to everyone that there was this extremely important issue in particular for women, but not just for women, for women and men, and that it was vastly underappreciated and that had to change. And so personally, I just felt immense satisfaction that I had been part of it. How would we get to personalized medicine if we did not look at sex and gender? Well, that's one of the big ironies that's out there. It is difficult to overstate the degree to which there are biases against the topic of sex differences. And one of the ways that that becomes ironically clear is when you start talking about personalized medicine or precision medicine or individualized medicine, very trendy topic and rightfully so. But when you talk to a lot of the people who are talking about precision medicine and ask them, well, what about sex differences? A lot of them will say, eh, no, you don't, have to, you don't have to care about that. So the, the immense irony here is that a lot of the people who are talking about the importance, rightfully so, of studying individual differences will at the same time tell you that you don't have to care about one of the most evolutionarily fundamental of all individual differences, whether or not you're male or female. In what ways do hormonal contraception alter stress responses and emotional memory, or do they? Amazingly enough, in 60 years and tens or hundreds of millions of women taking all kinds of hormonal contraceptives, we know very little about what hormonal contraceptives are doing to the brain. And it's just now, like the last couple of years, that you'll you'll see a growing movement amongst the neuroscientists, especially women neuroscientists, who are asking the question, so what is hormonal contraception doing to the brain? One thing that's very interesting that came out of my laboratory, it was a natural outgrowth of our sex difference work. So 
So we found that, and we published this about 10 years ago, the first study ever on the effect of hormonal contraception on emotional memory. We found that in women who are taking hormonal contraception, their memory for an emotional story changed. Whereas women not on hormonal contraception tended to remember more of the details of the emotional story. Women on hormonal contraception tended to remember more of the gist and not the details of the emotional story. We published this about 10 years ago. So being on hormonal contraception shifted a woman's memory of an emotional story, remembering the details of a story towards more remembering the gist of a story, basically a pattern more like that of men. Well, thank you for working so hard on behalf of women. But men benefit from sex and gender research as well. Absolutely. The issue is going to benefit both men and women, disproportionately women, because we have a system that overwhelmingly has been studying the male. Jumping to the present, you're writing the first textbook, Examining Sex and Gender in the Brain, and you were telling me that you have a chapter on putting the brain back in the body. Is that really necessary? I think it's just because of the natural reductionistic tendency in all of medicine. If you're interested in the lungs, you study the lungs. If you're interested in the heart, you study the heart. Of course, it's all one big happy body, right? Interacting with each other and maybe the brain more than any else. But like all the other branches of medicine, those interested in the brain just focused on the brain. There was enough to worry about just there from the neck up, so to speak, trying to understand basic neural processes. Just see it more and more, I'd say, especially the last five to eight years. What's happening is people are realizing, oh, this brain is working hand in hand tight with the body. And you're not going to fully understand the brain without understanding the body. So let me give you a specific example. People who are interested in Alzheimer's disease, they spent all their time worrying about the brain. And they still do, and understandably, and what, what goes wrong in the brain. Well, they didn't think they were going to have to worry about the pancreas. That wasn't supposed to be part of the story. Well, all kinds of evidence is indicating that, yeah, it is. And often in ways, especially regarding the gut, that show some striking sex differences. Part of why this is so interesting and why I have a chapter on it in my textbook is if you ask people, are the brains of men and women different? Well, some people will say yes, some people will say no. If you ask people, are the bodies of men and women different? Pretty much everyone says, uh, yeah. And so we all kind of get, even though there are many similarities in the bodies of men and women, right? We still get that the bodies are different. And so the more neuroscience is naturally combining the study of the brain with the study of the body, the more the sex difference issue will grow because we will understand more and more that those two different bodies are busy influencing the brain in their own ways. On our next edition, Dr. Larry Cahill, professor of neurobiology and behavior at the University of California, Irvine, explains how your brain controls and processes your emotions and will look at to what degree technologies interfere with the consolidation of events as memories. One of the themes in brain science, and especially that's relevant to Alzheimer's, is there's a use it or lose it element to brain function, not unlike a muscle. Whole careers have been built on helping Alzheimer's patients by helping them to use and not lose what they've got. Well, the more the little device in your hand is doing the work for you, the less your brain is. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for brainstorming with us. Us Against Alzheimer's is partnering with the American Academy of Lifestyle Medicine to create Brain Health Academy, a series of free evidence-based courses to equip healthcare and wellness providers 
with the knowledge and resources to help people reduce the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. To learn more, go to usagainstalzheimers.org and click on Brain Health Academy. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Karen and Chris Siegel and from our corporate sponsors, Biogen, Esai, and Eli Lilly. Subscribe to Brainstorm on your favorite podcast platform and join us for new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of every month.